This is Ultimate Battleground, Episode 1, a Masters Cast podcast. Hey, thanks for downloading. I'm John Callis, also known as The Shadow. I'm Josh Lioncourt, also known as Lioncourt. I guess we should preface, uh, Josh and I were uh, talking amongst ourselves, and uh, given the fact that we love to argue back and forth, right? A friendly argument, of course. Very friendly. Very friendly. Uh, but, you know, fans get passionate, right? And um, we decided to do a little spinoff uh, of the normal Masters Cast podcast. So, like, no, 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 the gang is still here, but this is just John and Josh, so they can... Um, uh, spat at each other <laughs> we can spar as it yes were. we can spar that's a better word oh you're the writer <laughs> um but the uh the basic premise of these is kind of be josh and i will take a topic um and then we will discuss it uh, more of a singular kind of contained topic and um we decided to go with tila as our topic right because i don't want to say unfortunately but probably, unfortunately, there is a whole big uproar about the character of Tila and her use um, in Masters of the Universe Revelation, which is the new Netflix uh, cartoon series uh, that dropped recently here in the year of 2021. <laughs> uh, nothing to add to that, uh, apart from the fact that uh, Teal has been part of the, the canon for a long time, and our discussion is going to uh, range across the canon, not be specific to any particular uh, incarnation of Masters. Exactly. Um, so for those that might be coming back to Masters of the Universe because of the Revelation uh, cartoon. Um, or if you're just not as familiar with Tila as you thought, um, as a little bit of a backstory, uh, Tila was created by Mattel designer Mark Taylor. Uh, he used a combination of uh, two of his designs, one that was just simply titled Female Warrior and one that was dubbed Sorceress. Uh, her name, however was coined by uh, writer Donald F. Glutt. Her original origin was crafted in the mini-comic The Tale of Tila, where Tila is actually a clone of the goddess character. However, Tila's more popular origin and destiny comes from the filmation series Bible by Michael Halpern, which was then expanded upon by writer Paul Dini in the filmation cartoon episode Tila's Quest. We do find out that, in summary, the sorceress is Tila's mother, Man-at-Arms, Duncan, is her adopted father, and her destiny is to become the next sorceress of Castle Grayskull. In the toy line, she was released in 1982, taglined as a warrior goddess, but she is more popularly known as the captain of the Eternian Royal Guard, as per how she was portrayed in the Filmation series and then subsequent stories and everything after that. And I believe that was her tagline in the 2002 figures as well. Wasn't it Captain the Royal Guard? I, I think so, yeah. It was. Yeah, because yeah. they didn't really play up that, you know, the goddess part. Right. And um, as Josh mentioned uh, uh, just, a, uh, just a minute ago, she is featured in the bulk of all Masters of the Universe media spanning, you know, the last X number of years and is absolutely one of the franchise's most predominant characters. So it should come to no surprise that she is also... Um, used in the new Masters of the Universe cartoon, and it's not out of the ordinary to be heavily used. 
I believe she might be, I don't don't take this as gospel, but I believe she might be the only character outside of our big two of He-Man and Skeletor that has appeared in every incarnation. I believe she might be the only one. Well, would I say the sorceress as well, right? The sorceress would not be in the early mini comics. Oh, that's a good point. Ooh, look at him. He got me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. But yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I, I think so. Because she is even one of the only Masters of the Universe original characters to cameo in the New Adventures of He Man. Right. Which, exactly. uh, you know, besides the sorceress, only highlighted a, a couple in the first episode when, before he leaves Eternia. So um, it also should come to no shock that Tila is. I mean, she was in, we counted. We believe she was in 105 out of the original 130 He-Man and the Masters Universe cartoon episodes from Filmation. So I I just, I understand the arguments and we don't want to necessarily go into revelations or revelation immediately. But um, I, I understand both sides of the story, but we just wanted to make the point that Tila is not a third tier <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of random Masters of the Universe character. Uh, she's very much uh, a part integral. of the mythos. Yeah, integral to the mythos. I like that. So where do you want to start off uh, with, with our Tila discussion? Let's start with something just really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, Tila's had a lot of different looks in the last 40 years. Which, which one do you like best? And, and maybe which one do you like least? Well... That's a good point. I actually always really liked her design, uh, the toy design, with the snake armor and staff. Um, I do understand why that was not used in the Filmation series and kind of subsequent after that, because you had this whole, like, the goddess is the one that looks like that um, uh, type portrayal. And I don't even know if it makes sense why the goddess would have snake armor necessarily either. I just think it was a cool look. Um, so when I would use my action figure of Tila, um, I definitely kept her snake armor on uh, and the staff. So I think that's my favorite look, but I understand why they did not uh, go with that type of portrayal uh, in the bulk of the media for Tila. So for me, I it, it it's a hard question for me to answer, and I have to leave Revelation off the table at the moment because the action figure is going to be the closest I come to knowing what the new designs look like, and that's not Ooh. out yet. So, and maybe if we have some new viewers, you might want or viewers listeners, uh, you might want to explain why. Uh, yeah, I am blind, so if you don't know that already, uh, now you do, and so <laughs> the action figures are my. Uh, my current insight into the way the uh, characters are designed, I do know what uh, filmation and a lot of the early art and mini comics and all that looked like uh, because I didn't lose my vision until I was six. So I, I know what all that looks like and then everything else uh, basically has to hinge on some sort of physical media for me to know what, uh, what th- how things are designed. So, uh, so with that said, uh, I think my favorite design is the uh is the 2002 era which is not unusual for me i really love the character designs from that era uh, of masters and tila in particular was uh really really well 
well executed i think in that uh in that uh era not a huge departure right from the uh from the like filmation type days in the early days but definitely updated and and uh, more detailed and that sort of thing she had the longer hair in uh, that version and stuff so i definitely um like that one i think the the best one thing to play off of uh, where well, you were just talking about the snake armor. So when I was when I was a kid, uh, the the before I was fully uh, aware of and or embracing the the whole goddess thing, which now is in my sort of head canon, right? It's the goddess that has the snake armor in Tila herself that doesn't. Mm-hmm. I always was a bit confused as a kid, like why why do I see these comics and picture books and sometimes coloring books and stuff where Tila's got the snake armor and then she never has it in the cartoon? Why is that? And that as a kid, it kind of confused me, and I kind of as a kid wished that every once in a while she would put that on. That said, I definitely as a kid preferred her look in the filmation cartoon over the uh, snake armor, even though I thought the snake armor was also cool. You were saying uh, a minute ago about how what you know does it really make sense for the goddess to have snake armor either, and it probably doesn't. It's probably not a thing that was terribly thought out. It was somebody's idea of a cool design, is my guess, and they drew a picture. But um, one thing where that comment I, it really uh, amuses me is one other another incarnation uh, that we have of Teela that was pretty unique uh, was in the uh, UK storybooks and in those books she does have the uh snake armor and her snake staff and all of that sort of stuff and she is this weird hybrid between the like filmation type tila and then the uh like the goddess sort of so she uses her snake snake staff to communicate with warm-blooded animals it's a snake staff it is not a warm-blooded animal. <laughs> this makes no sense, but that was what they did. It was what they ran with, and uh, she has this uh, sort of magical telepathic ability to talk to and control animals. Um, most uh, memorable for me, anyway, it was in the uh, storybook Skeletor's Ice Attack. Uh, again, these are the UK storybooks uh, from Lady Bird, but... Um, and then in that one, uh, Merman is highly uh, prominent and attacks the ship with his sea creatures, but he only controls the cold-blooded ones. And since she can control warm-blooded animals, she calls all the dolphins and seals and whales and things to bail them out, basically. But uh, much much more magical in that portrayal, I think, than any other version of Tila that we've had uh, since, I believe. Well, I think for me, the... Uh, my least favorite portrayal portrayal of Tila, uh, which you also asked, was, uh, I guess design-wise, I, I don't know if I necessarily disliked her characterization in the episode she appeared in, uh, but design-wise, I, I didn't really like her appearance in the new adventures of He-Man. Um, she had a, a new color scheme. It was like pink. Um, it was very out of character for Tila. Uh, she had... Yeah. Blonde hair, um, which we know that some incarnations of Tila uh, do have blonde hair. Um, however, it, it the episode really reads as wouldn't it have made sense more that Shira um, visited? And it could just be a problem of rights issues, right? Well, it's like, well, we'll use <laughs> Tila, but her design is a bit more Shira esque. 
Um, that that for me was kind of the only, not necessarily out of character portrayal of Tila. Um, she's still a competent warrior, obviously, in, in the new adventures of He-Man when she does appear. But, um, you know, the look of Tila, I guess, is is much more consistent in every other kind of uh, portrayal of her in the media from, you know, the live action movie to the mini comics uh, to Revelation. Uh, you know, everything is very on par with visually with a, a Tila we would expect to see. She's a recognizable character, right? Like yes. the differences, it's sort of like, you know, uh, high profile uh, comic book characters, right? Like no matter which incarnation of Batman you look at, you know, it's Batman. Like, there's certain consistency across, even when he looks radically different, he's still recognizable. Absolutely. And certainly Revelation uh, does uh, redesign Tila for um, the bulk of the five episodes that aired before this podcast was recorded. However, in the first episode, she is wearing a more traditional um, Tila outfit. So, I mean, you know, if, if you gave a, a photograph of the cast of Revelation... Uh, to someone who was familiar with Masters of the Universe from, e you know, even the 2000s or the 80s, they would they would instantly know that's Tila. Whereas it, I don't think that would happen if you showed them a screen capture of Tila on the New Adventures of He-Man. Right, makes sense. I don't really remember that episode uh, very well. It's been. I think since we reviewed the New Adventures DVDs <laughs> on Masters Cast, since I've seen that episode, and uh, I predominant my predominant memory of it was eh, this is not really Tila, <laughs> even in, uh, without looking at her, it didn't feel quite right. It felt a little off to me. So, in terms of not the design, but just the characterization. It wasn't completely off from what I remember, but it still didn't seem to strike quite the right chord for me personally. Well, speaking of characterization then, would you agree that really our fa the foundation of a Masters of the Universe fan in regards to their perception of Tila would be the Tila that was crafted by the Filmation cartoon series. Yeah, absolutely. And even uh, the mini comics as the as the toys went on adopted that that because it was a it was a better portrayal than what they had in the early mini comics as far as I'm concerned and I think the popularity of the character bears that out. Well, and something I noticed and um uh people that have listened to our podcast um you know, since the dawn of time when it came out. <laughs> um, I'm not the biggest Tila fan in general. I, I think there's a mis a misconception that I, I hate the character. I don't hate the character. But um, as, as a younger fan in the 80s fandom, when I, I don't ever remember there not being a He-Man and She-Ra, and given my just kind of love of like a fa fantasy type character... I'm going to gravitate for my female leads, right? I'm gonna I'm gravitating more to the ones that do have the kind of magic and the swords and the powers. So I gravitate more towards to an Adora and a Shira or a sorceress um, than I do Tila. However, I have to say for this preparing for this uh, recording session that we're doing here, I did watch several Tila centric, if you will, episodes of the filmation series that I I did I haven't seen uh, in quite some time. I I don't watch these type of episodes on a on a regular basis 
And I have to say that I wasn't as annoyed with Tila as I normally am uh, going when I, after watching these episodes. Um, and I didn't watch ones that I know that I do find her annoying in, like something like Into the Abyss. Um, but I actually sympathized with her in Tila's Quest, which is her origin episode. And one of, I think, the most popular episodes of the series among fans, um, beautifully done by Paul Dini, uh, who people will recognize from Batman the Animated Series. A lot of people say that the Filmation cartoon was a toy commercial. That's that's when I pause and know that the person writing that article um, or the fan writing that opinion online, I don't even think watched the show. This was uh, the second episode aired. Right. Second this was not something that they did when they were running out of stories for He-Man, right? And He-Man exactly. is largely sidelined on this episode. He has a handful of lines in this episode. Very, very few. Oh, right. The focus is definitely on Tila. And the only reason I feel we even get the little scene at the beginning with Marlena um, and how she came to Eternia and was just to... Uh, drive home the point that Tila doesn't have uh, a relationship with a mother figure. Right. That's exactly what it was for. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, another thing I want to, before we get too far down the rabbit hole on this episode, I, I do want to circle back for just a quick second on something you said a moment ago, mm -hmm. uh, which was talking about how you gravitated toward the more magical type uh Characters like the Sorceress, for example, mm -hmm. or She-Ra, or whatever. One thing that uh, I... Th this may be one of the things where we just, you know, fundamentally have different tastes. <laughs> but <laughs> So, I kind of like... Uh, no, in fact, I'm not going to say kind of like. I absolutely prefer uh, incarnations of Tila where... Uh, where she doesn't have the magic, right? Where she is the warrior, right? Like mm -hmm. she has obviously has magic because she's going to be the replacement for the sorceress someday, but that is either dampened or suppressed or whatever as she's growing up and becoming captain of the guard. She's not using any magic at all. And those portrayals actually like, for one thing, it makes her stand out because the masters, I mentioned this on uh, the, the previous episode of Masters Cast when we were talking about Revelation, Master Universe had a far more prominent female characters than any other boy cartoon, I think, in the, you know, boy-aimed cartoon in the 80s, hands down. Uh, Tila being probably the most prominent uh, of those. But we had Tila, we had Sorceress, we had Evelyn as probably the three main uh, female uh, characters in the series who appeared very, very frequently. The fact that Tila doesn't have magic sets her apart from the other two. It makes that character different. So um, this is, uh, I think, an, an, a, a point in her favor as far as I'm concerned. I think it would have detracted a lot from the character and Masters in general if she was just another uh, magic-wielding character um, as well. So... That's just uh, that's my take on that part of it. No, I see your point because also think about it this way, right? At least from the toy design perspective, Evil Lynn is 
based off of the Tila toy design, right? Yes. Like, obviously. Um, <laughs> it's just the head that they swapped out. Yeah. Right. You know, color scheme and what have you. So, right. but Evelyn, again, a magic character. So I think it would actually weaken Tila, like you're saying, is if, if she did possess magical powers or something like that, um, it she would be seen even more as like the the good equivalent of, of Evelyn. Right. And I like the fact that she does not have for the most part, uh, powers, um, and until she will become the next sorceress of Castle Grayskull, which exactly. has always been her, you know, set destiny. So, um, no, I, I, I can see your point on that. I think as a child, I wasn't thinking that deeply, obviously. <laughs> um, it was, it was more so, you know. overanalyzed everything as a child. So yeah, this was <laughs> often to my detriment. Hey, I don't, I don't know. I think that's good if you were, if you were kind of thinking uh, along those lines. And it just shows how, um, what, what always got me was, you know, that something like Masters of the Universe is, is just seen as like a big toy commercial, right? And the characters have depth, the ones that were actually used uh, in the media. So yes, I understand that there are tons of Masters of the Universe characters, but the cartoons of He-Man and She-Ra really oftentimes focused on a core group of those characters and did develop those characters into something that was not a toy commercial. And that is certainly uh, the case with Tila. And that's what you have to do when you're telling a story anyway. When any sort of storytelling, if you have too many characters, the audience will not care about any of them <laughs> in the end mm -hmm. because you've just got, you know, if you're putting too much focus on too many at a time, right? Like. The fact that Filmation was smart enough to say this may be, you know, Mattel's uh, brand and this may be, uh, you know, ev eventually become a toy line that's got dozens, if not hundreds of action figures or whatever. Uh, we need to pick and choose the ones that are going to be the core group. And mm -hmm. they did an excellent job in doing that, I think. Well, and I think when they um, when they relaunched He Man with the Mike Young Productions cartoon in the early two thousands, they really gravitated to kind of expanding the thought process, if you will, on Tila is going to be the next sorceress of Grayskull. And uh, for this recording again, I rewatched some of those episodes, and I feel that. Um, I might have categorized Tila as um, a brat in not only kind of filmation, but but Mike Young as well. But in particular, uh, in two of the the episodes that highlight the fact that she is the sorceress's daughter, um, and that she you know has a des a very heavy destiny that that is bestowed upon her, I actually empathize with Tila. I felt very bad for her in both episodes where she actually gets a taste of the sorceress's power within herself and is confused. Um, you know, the sorceress certainly isn't helping her out. <laughs> um, no. And um, I, it, it fascinated me to the point that um, before we started recording, I mentioned to Josh that I really want to go back and watch the Mike Young series because I... I couldn't believe how stone cold the the sorceress in filmation is very loving, and in in episodes like the T uh, Tila's Quest, 
I did get that warm, fuzzy feeling that um, the sorceress wanted to be closer to Tila than than she could be. Um, you know, to the point that in Tila's quest, you know, she does tell her her destiny and that she is her mother, but then she erases her memory. <laughs> because that's um, the sorceress's fallback <laughs> always. Yeah. Oh, but we in, don't want you to know that yet, so yeah, let's like, just wipe uh, it out. But in, uh, you know, in Mike Young, you know, the sorceress is portrayed as so cold. Um, and Tila is just so heartbroken and confused. I mean, couple that with the fact, too, that the Mike Young show really danced around the could man-at-arms really be your father? Or, hey, maybe it's Fisto uh, uh, type deal, too, which is an, another story for another day. <laughs> um, I, I was shocked because, again, I don't really like Tila, but maybe I do. Maybe I do because I feel for her in those Mike Young episodes. I don't know. Well, remember, too, I mean, we're talking about a show now that has been on the air almost as long as you have been alive <laughs> and a little right. less as long as I've been alive. And the, uh, you know, your tastes can change and your appreciation of characters can change over time uh, mm -hmm. as well. Like as a kid, I didn't really like Glimmer. Right, like Glimmer mm -hmm. was the character that just irritated me as a kid. As an adult, I appreciate that character way more now than I did then. And I think I don't think that's that's uncommon um, in a, in any sort of fandom, right? Like as the years go by, your you know it, it, this is true for me for other things outside of Masters as well, right? Like as mm -hmm. a kid, I couldn't have cared less about like characters like Sulu or something on Star Trek. And then, you know, as an adult, I appreciate that character way more than I did growing up. So it's like your, your, your taste can definitely change. So maybe, maybe that's what you're experiencing is a new, new appreciation for, uh, for Tila that maybe wasn't there before because she was for you coming into it later. Maybe Tila was just overshadowed by the fact that Shira had her own show and, uh, and you didn't know a world before there was Shira, because really, without Tila, I don't think there would have been a Shira or a Shira cartoon. Because you know, one of the things that that we know throughout the history that's been talked about of this franchise is the fact that part of why they did the the spinoff that was Princess of Power was because girls were watching. He-Man, my sister was one of them, and loving it as well, and uh, you know, they, proving the fact that a, a, a Tila was helping prove the point that an action show uh, doesn't need to be exclusively marketed to boys, basically, and uh, and that evolved eventually into the Shira side of the the property. So, I think we have to give the character of Tila credit for giving us. Uh, like half of what Masters has become in, in the over the years. And I actually don't disagree with you on that. And this is probably something I would have fought you on um, 20 years ago. Um, I, you know, we found out more information um, as years go by, right? On the, how did things come to be, right? Like, like the Shira property. And we found out things like Tila, the action figure of Tila was one of the best selling um, toys in the Masters of the Universe vintage line. And that prompted Mattel to take a good look at these things, even even as far as when the 
early developments of, of the Shira stuff was happening at Mattel, right? We learned in the, um, I believe it was the documentary, The Powers of Grayskull, which I believe you can still stream on Netflix. Fantastic documentary that I do recommend everyone watching. Um, you find out that uh, one of the designers at Mattel, Justine Dancer, was given, you know, the Tila photo, you know, the Tila design, and told, oh, "Show us what we, you know, show us what you can do with this, right?" And once they they liked what she was doing in the confines of the Tila design, uh, they had her up her game, and uh, that kind of started off the the Shira project, right, for them. So I absolutely agree with you. Um, even I can admit that I think if not for the popularity of Tila in the Masters of the Universe franchise, we might not have received our She-Ra spinoff that I will st say that most Masters of the Universe fans do appreciate, <laughs> um, <laughs> including myself. Um, so I definitely have to give, uh, uh, Tila some props for that because I, I do think she was an instrumental part of opening the eyes, especially to the fact that action figures, right. And, and a fantasy property like masters of the universe can appeal, uh, to both boys and girls, much like I'm sure princess Leia did with Star Wars. Like, Princess right. Leia was not a damsel in distress. No. Much like Tila. Tila is never a damsel in distress, <laughs> really, in, in Masters. I mean, she might she might get herself in some sticky wickets, right? But she, she gets into those um, not by backing down, but because she was not afraid of the fight. Right, right. Interesting about... Tila being uh, one of the best-selling uh, action figures because I wonder how much of that, this is completely anecdotal, so I don't mm -hmm. know if this was it, but I do wonder how much of that was uh, family similar to mine when I was a kid because Tila was one of the only ones that we had to have two of <laughs> because mm. I wanted one and my sister wanted one. <laughs> And so we had like, I had basically, you know, one of just a huge, I didn't have every figure back then, but I had a lot of master's figures. But Tila, there were two in the house because my sister had to have one as well. No, and I, I had the same situation. Um, my sister, uh, who was younger than me, um, also would play, you know, He-Man and She-Ra. Uh, with me now granted i did usually um make her use tila instead of shira <laughs> uh, given i had a more affinity for shira and i would i'd be like well pretend this is shira um but um my, my sister obviously did gravitate towards those and i know she loved the sorceress uh figure uh, as well um so i think that's that's definitely um a point because in the original masters line right there's only three female characters. There's or figures. Figures, yes. I'm yes. talking about the toy line. Uh, Tila, Eva Lynn, and the Sorceress. Um, and it's obviously the it was the um, filmation cartoon that really pushed the popularity of the Sorceress. So that's why she got a figure. Yes. Um, but you really only had three choices, and I we've discussed this before, and I I still think Tila paved the way for a female action figure. And I really wish that the original Princess of Power toy line more so mimicked the style of Tila and Evil Lynn um, than the kind of action figure Barbie that we got 
um, in the actual Princess of Power line. No disrespect, of course. I 100% but... agree, because I had some of the Shiro figures growing up as well, and they you what you really wanted at least, at least what i really wanted as a kid and i would i never specifically asked my sister but i i bet she would agree with me too what we really wanted was a you know figures that kind of matched up right they were roughly right. the same size but they really didn't go together very well mm -hmm. and uh, fit together very well so um, but it was Mattel, I think, right? Not willing to bet the farm on something that hadn't been done before. So they were like, eh, what, what if we try going halfway and see what happens? But I think that ultimately, you know, probably reduced the length of time that the Shira toy line lasted. I think it might have lasted longer if they had uh, been a little more willing to take a risk, but we'll never know for sure. Oh, right. They even implied that in that in that same documentary when they were talking with the Mattel executives that were kind of in charge of the the doll side, the girl side of things, that even when She-Ra was created, I mean, it wasn't even envisioned that she would be the like lasting property that Masters of the Universe was. Um, they just kind of saw it as like a sidekick type thing to the Barbie franchise, which is, you know, the... Uh, the grand dame, if you will, of Mattel right. toys. <laughs> right. um, so I, I do think, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We all probably would have handled that a little bit differently in the 80s, and, and maybe it, it would have um, exploded even more, even to the fact that you could have had Tila-style Princess of Power characters in the Masters of the Universe vintage toy line, you know, slap the the logo of princess of power underneath it like they would with the horde the snake men um and things like that and you could have actually had the barbie-esque action figures you know over in the princess of power toy line but you could have had those same characters in the masters of the universe line as well. right yep. always and thought that was a missed opportunity yep i agree i agree and again all kind of thanks to the popularity um of tila which coming from my mouth uh, to some vintage <laughs> listeners of ours are like, whoa. Right? I know, right? But, but uh, yeah, so Tila, uh, we should circle back around. Let, let's talk a little bit more about, because uh, we, we've been jumping around a little bit. Let's talk just for a moment about mm -hmm. some of her other filmation appearances. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, at least uh, for preparation of this, we, we watched, or I watched, I'm not sure if you watched any other ones. I watched uh, Teal's Quest, which we talked about. I also watched The uh, Witch and the Warrior. and I did uh, as well, yes. Yeah, I wanted to bring up this one for a couple of reasons. One is, I, am, I realized in watching it uh, this time, it had been a while since I'd seen this one as well, that... I don't think I, I, I usually pride myself on trying to be, um, objective through my, my love of any, any property and be able to say, okay, this is, this was a good episode. This was a good story. This was a good idea, or this was not a good idea and they shouldn't have done whatever. <laughs> right. Like there are, I love filmation. There are some truly, truly God awful episodes mixed in to the you know across both shows the 230 whatever episodes that we have across mm -hmm. both um the um uh so but i don't think i ha can be objective on the witch and the warrior for 
whatever reason, uh, maybe it was uh, just the you know the fact that I enjoyed the Tila character so much as a kid or whatever. I don't know. Th- that episode, which uh, to remind our listeners, has uh, Tila and Evelyn uh, stranded in the desert. Uh, and having to work together to survive, essentially, like really simplifying it. But that's basically the idea of the episode. Um, I have such strong nostalgia watching this episode that I really cannot honestly figure out if it's actually a good episode and a good story or not. I just love it so much. This episode um, just takes me back to being, you know, five years old again when it first aired and remembering all of the, you know, all of the feels that I got sitting in front of that God awful color television. That was mostly green when <laughs> yeah, well, 1983. And if I could break in real quick, I just want to yes. compliment you on something. We're not really battling, are we? It's like uh, false advertising. with the title of the episode. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I love, I, you, you just, but reading between the lines of what you just said there, one thing I do not like about modern culture is uh, a couple folds is people will say you only like something because of nostalgia as if that's bad. I don't understand why that's a bad thing. If, if that episode brought you a lot of joy um, as a child and it still brings you a lot of joy and feelings re-watching it now as an adult. I don't see how that's a bad thing. And I feel like a lot of people, they'll say, you know, oh, the original He-Man and She-Ra cartoons, I mean, they're not that great. They're toy commercials. You only like them because of nostalgia. Now, I would disagree with that as well because I do think that a lot of the episodes are extremely well-written and have great pro-social messages, you know, that Filmation embedded into the stories. Um, but I really hate the notion that a I only like something because of nostalgia, as if that's bad. And I, I guess I just wanted to make that point. I don't understand. Uh, even if if objectively someone from the outside would look at the Witch and the Warrior and say that it's a a poorly written episode. I mean, personally, I don't like the the genie villain that's in it. <laughs> that would yeah. be my criticism of it. But. But I he mean, was just sort it, of the vehicle for the story anyway. Right. Like, obviously but not well thought out. <laughs> it's like, I think most people would agree that Paul Dini is a fantastic writer. I mean, they certainly gush over everything he's done for Batman. And he is, the again, the writer of this episode, just like Tila's Quest. Um, so I guess my whole point is I'm glad you phrased it that way. And I just wanted to to make the point that I don't think anyone should apologize for liking something because of nostalgia yeah 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 we're definitely on uh in agreement there and i mean the whole idea of it just being a toy commercial or whatever mm-hmm. and and not well done uh, you you writing up the writing but like objectively i think you can completely squash that all you have to do is who were you know a lot of the writers in uh, that worked at filmation at the time and what did they go on to do these were incredibly talented people like Paul Dini, like Larry Dottilio, like J. Michael Straczynski. Like there were people that have gone on to be big, big names and they start, or T.C. Fontana already was a big name by then and she well, was and writing episodes. So, the same with a lot of the animators too because yeah. a lot of them went on to work on uh, 
after Filmation closed, they went on to work for, uh, you know, Disney's feature animation. Yep. Yep. Um, or Batman, the animated series or whatever, right? There was a bunch mm -hmm. of that. Uh, so like, um, so yeah, that, that's a ridiculous comment anyway, but, um, but yeah, this particular episode just still to this day just brings me <laughs> so much joy uh, watching it. And it's another one of those where He-Man's largely sidelined. It's the focus is on Tila and Evelyn and uh, not about Tila in particular, but uh, boy, this episode goes a long way to toward um, humanizing Evelyn in a way that I don't think she was ever really done again in the, that series. You know, she feels more like a like a real person than a comic book type villain. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She she feels very very um, very human, uh, and they they would uh, do that again in the like the Mike Young series. But as first filmation went, Evelyn was you know she was Skeletor's right hand uh, in command sort of thing, and um, and uh, but this episode makes it re makes her really feel like a real person, but. All of this uh, was also kind of just wanting to, we don't necessarily have to go deep into it, but just wanted to mention that like this episode to me also, um, because I have such nostalgia and, and love for this episode, uh, I, I was, you know, finding myself thinking about this episode, watching revelation because again, we had Tila and Evelyn teaming up and, I, I I realize they're only twenty minute cartoons and there's only so much time, but God, I would have I would have lost it if at some point in like episode three of Revelation, if they had just made some sort of comment about you remember when the two of us were stuck in the desert or you know something <laughs> um, would have been amazing, but uh, they didn't they didn't go there. But um, no, yeah, I agree though with so. you that would have actually been an awesome little Easter egg reference um, because I really feel that. Uh, uh, the story crafters, if you will, of Revelation, obviously was thinking back to uh, this episode, um, which does give the foundation of the whole Tila and Evelyn dynamic. I also agree with you. I mean, it it makes it fleshes this twenty you know four minute episode of Filmation really fleshes out the character of Evelyn uh, a bit more so than than I feel Tila, but that's important for her interactions with the Tila character. And it does have that, um, it does set the uh, pr premise already that she and Tila can work together. They can work together well. And both of them actually realize this. And um, I think that was a good uh, play on Filmation's part and then a good play on um, Netflix's part on using that aspect the way they did in Revelation to the point that we know uh spoilers uh you know in the in the in the cliffhanger of part 1 of revelation right we'll just say evelyn i feel in a wink wink type way betrays tila but i don't really feel that it's going to be a betrayal uh in the end <laughs> uh, yeah, it's hard so to I, tell you know what i mean so i think yeah. I, I think that the fact the way they handled it was really well and um, kind of backtracking on that though, 
to touch upon revelation in, in general, because I think that's kind of what we're building up to when discussing Tila and the fact that it's such a hot button issue. I think there are a lot of issues. Um, unfortunately, they're going around about this character in revelation to the fact that I'm, I feel that I'm guilty of letting social media um, warp my perception of revelation before it even aired to the fact that my opinion <laughs> on the series has morphed several ways rebinge after rebinge i have rebinged the series i want to say probably at least a total of seven times i wish is, i had time to do that <laughs> yeah, well it's it's you know to me it's like watching a movie it's less than two hours um yeah. long so i've been putting it back on and kind of watching it and maybe even over analyzing it myself and um my opinion might have even changed from our last podcast podcast uh full episode you know with the whole group where we did review revelations check that out episode uh 74 right uh in our feed but um i i went through such a perplexing range of emotions because going into revelation i was still set on tila is not one of my favorite characters um i understand the uh media push that this is not the tila show but I also understand why people are interpreting this as the Tila show. So I think I went into it with the whole, I don't like Tila. Ugh, Tila is kind of like the lead force of this part of the story arc. And then her characterization in it, and I believe we talked about this in, in the podcast episode, is I, I found Tila to be very grating, very selfish very self-absorbed to the fact that when she fights her own fear, the fear is herself and her own power within, right? However, I started thinking about it a little bit more. And you know the scene in Revelation where she quits? Like, you know, she throws down, I'm not going to be royal guard anymore. You all are liars, Yep. blah, blah, blah. One thing that I think we do to characters you know fictional characters all the way to say a celebrity is we judge these things so harshly as if they have to be perfect and i thought her reaction to adam dying again was all self-absorbed bratty um grating right the way she reacted but one has to say how would I act, react in the moment, right, of not only my best friend dying, but finding out that my best friend did hide a huge secret from me. And your dad and yes, everyone and that, around you. And that right? most people around me knew the secret. Who am I to say that Tila or that I would not react with with such gravitas, right? That Tila did. And, and be irrational. Ir people being irrational is a part of life. You know, not everyone is calm, cool, collected when Especially they react to a Especially in situation. a traumatic situation like that, yeah. Extremely traumatic situation. So it ha like, I'm telling you, on like the seventh binge, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Maybe this is actually a realistic reaction for Tila. I mean, I'm saying, why would she throw her entire life away? 
because she of already this, feels I, like she lost her entire life. Thank you. That's that's the point I'm trying to make. It's like she actually feels like everything I know I've known has been a lie, and I just want to remove myself from this situation. And that perhaps is a a valid argument to the point that, you know, she's still having problems when when she meets back up with Adam later in the story arc where she's like having fun with him, but she's still mad at him to the fact that, you know, Adam has to say to her, yo, Tila, I died. And she's like, yeah, and we had to live with it. And I took that as very jarring at first. Again, selfish, right? But, but a realistic view of people is a lot of people are selfish and, and their reaction is going to be rooted in that because they're the one experiencing the, the emotions, right? So they have to, that's her only way of coping with it. And not only that, but like speaking as somebody who's written some novels, <laughs> go check them out, lioncourt.com. Uh, any author will tell you that your characters, if you're if you're trying to tell a a proper story, particularly for an adult audience, which Revelation is squarely aimed at, not at children uh, per se. Not that children can't watch it, but this is that was not their target audience in developing it. Characters need to be flawed to tell a good story uh, and for the audience to connect with. If you have a character, this is one of the reasons why. I don't really like Superman because more often than not, he's shown as this perfect, you know, not only invulnerable power wise, except for kryptonite or whatever, but like never does the wrong thing, always knows the right thing to do. Like that is so boring from a storytelling point of view, right? Like characters need to be flawed because we're as human beings all flawed and Mm -hmm. Tila has always actually been one of the most realistic characters in Masters that way, right? Like she's impulsive, mm-hmm. she is strong-willed. She's not a she's never been portrayed as perfect. They've amped up those a little bit, made them even more realistic in Revelation. But like Tila's Quest, one of the most highly regarded episodes of the Filmation series, like we were just talking about, starts with Tila making a very impulsive decision that probably wasn't the the best for her, uh, you know, for her own safety and whatever, because she wants exactly. to find something out, right? Like this is, this is her character. This this fits in with that idea that she's a human, just like all the rest of us. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of the, I think a lot of the problem too. I, I hate to use the word problem because I don't necessarily feel it's a problem. People are making it a problem. Um, <laughs> that Tila is the predominant like lead character, if you will, for the first arc of the Revelation story. Okay, um, but forgetting that, right? The fact that you know Revelation is using Masters of the Universe characters as their leads, just perhaps not He-Man and Skeletor for story purposes. Um, for the story arc, but I I don't feel that the characterization, looking back now, of Tila is is that out of line with her other portrayals, which you've just clearly illustrated. So basically, I just didn't want to get into a back and forth about uh, the creative decisions to use to use Tila um, as such a predominant role in the first part of Revelations. My point is to make that her use is not uncharacteristic of the character traits and portrayal of Tila from the other 
media, um, including, you know, the Mike Young show. You mentioned she was in filmation, like often impulsive and kind of a little hot-headed. Um, she does carry that over into the um, Mike Young cartoon. Uh, she she made an impulsive decision when she started um, having the sorceress-like powers of, of the whole telepathy kind of thing going right. on. When she rushes off uh, because Evelyn basically has a message to trap her. Um, you know, she's a strong-willed person in the live-action movie, you know, to which she even refers to herself in the live-action movie as, you know, I'm Tila, woman-at-arms, um, which I think people would probably categorize as being her being woke, right? Like, the, I, I, I don't know why necessarily being woke is a bad thing um, but i don't want to <laughs> yeah. get into that d- debate either on this but well, here here let, let's just uh this is this is a point i wanted to make a, a minute ago let's 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 set all of that aside mm-hmm. for a second all right and just think about everything we've said so far in this about about you know she's been there since the beginning she's appeared in every media right okay think about this let's if you want to tell the story that you're telling in uh revelation Let's just let's say you're going to tell, but you're going to tell it in a different way than they chose to. Uh, but they're spending the first five episodes essentially uh, justifying He-Man's existence. Why does Eternia need a hero like He-Man to to protect Grayskull and the planet and whatever from the likes of Skeletor? Why? And they show us what happens when Eternia doesn't have its hero anymore, which is not good. <laughs> um, so taking all that into account, if you wanted to tell this story, the natural character that you put in the center of it, I think, is Tila. There is no one else in the, the canon. There are characters you can like or dislike a characters to any degree, but just in terms of logically... Who do you put in the center of dealing with the aftermath of losing He-Man for a while? There is no other character that makes anywhere near as much sense as Tila does for that role. Oh, I agree, especially since you have the opportunity there, too, to expand on her well-established destiny that she is going to become the sorceress of Castle Grayskull. And, you know, the sorceress also like an integral part of, of the, f- the first story arc there of Revelation, it plays perfectly. I don't, I don't think you could, I think the story works better with Tila than it, than it, like someone might say like, well, why wouldn't you be using Man-at-Arms? Well, Man-at-Arms has already f- fulfilled his destiny. Duncan is Man-at-Arms, as he was always meant to be, um, and then... You know, they are already putting Tila on her path towards her destiny. I, I just don't see how you flesh out Man-at-Arms any more than he already is. Right. And that wasn't the type of character he was anyway, right? He was right. the father figure. He was the, you know, protector of the king and the palace. And, mm-hmm. you know, he that was that was his role. He knew He-Man's secret, but that was generally because in service to what he needed to do for the kingdom, it was good for him to know, right? Right. But... There was no, you know, that's not the type of character he was. Tila was like, I, I think, you know, in the filmation series, uh, much more, you know, outside of He-Man, right? Much more the character who would go in and get her hands dirty to do what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. 
way more often than than man at arms was getting involved right man at arms was generally back at the palace making sure the king was safe while he and tila went and did their adventures like there's a lot of episodes like that where he sends them so, go get the uh what was it the vho or whatever that makes the frequency <laughs> from the or, or whatever it was i forget exactly that episode but he sends them off somewhere like that kind of stuff is is a lot you know what the what the series was about and he's fulfilling that same kind of role in revelation he's getting a little, a little more active but it that's that is the point and uh you know i think uh th i don't think there's another character who naturally fits into that i also uh if i can spin off of this a little bit this is going uh, a little bit off of rebel i'm starting with revelation but kind of going to veer away from that for a minute mm -hmm. um Tila is, I think, in terms of the general public, one of the more recognizable Masters characters. Like, if you ask a a casual fan or somebody who just, like, maybe watched it as a kid but didn't stay with it, Tila's going to be one of the primary characters that they remember, right? Her, probably Orko is in that thing, is outside of, you know, Human and Skeletor. I'm talking about the, the rest of the mm -hmm. cast. Tila's a character that basically um, everyone remembers, and uh, focusing on her too is uh, probably expanded the the audience a little bit. Like this show is definitely for fans, but even casual fans can go in and be like, "Oh, I remember her." And what I wanted to uh, mention on this is uh, case in point. Uh, there's a book series that I'm in the middle of uh, right now. Uh, I've been reading with, uh, <laughs> I recommended them to Katie and she's reading them as well. The main character, it, they're a, that's a sci-fi comedy series. And the main character is this guy from Earth who ends up in space and going on adventures. And they are hilarious. But a huge part of the his character is that he is uh, like our age. In fact, I think he was born the same year as you right, in 1982, I believe. Uh-oh. And he <laughs> One grew of up. them. Yeah, he grew up as a massive He-Man and the Masters of the Universe fan. So, Masters is referenced all the time through this series because he is this huge fan. Clearly, the author is as well because, like, really minor, you know, relatively minor characters like Roboto gets shot outs and stuff like that. He, the guy writing this, obviously is a fan and knows the lore very well. The very first time this comes up in book one involves uh, our uh, main character. We don't know at this point that he's a, he's a He-Man fan. This is about to be revealed. And he's off on the space mission that he's been roped into. Uh, never have been in space before, whatever. And so there is this alien uh, lady that is um, uh, in the military. And she is uh, part of the kind of the galactic uh, empire, whatever, the details don't matter. But she's sort of in charge of the mission, and um, but he has to, for various reasons, pretend to be the captain of the ship, even though she's in charge. Anyway, they have a moment where they're getting to know each other, and they're having a conversation. And up until this point, we've only heard her called Lauren, which is her last name, because she's in the military, so everybody calls her by her last name, so this is Lauren. And she tells him, oh, my name's Tila. <laughs> and he's like really you know the first girl i ever had a crush on was named tila and she's like yeah whatever you're <laughs> weird he's like yeah she was animated 
No, I mean, I mean, like literally animated. Not like she was lively. She was a cartoon character. He mad in the Mass Universe. Did you ever see that? And of course, she's an alien. She doesn't know what the hell he's talking mm-hmm. about. But this is a ongoing thing for the rest of the series. He, this guy, you know, used this as the the you know the character to remind us that this you know to inform us that he's a fan of this show. This is going to be a core part of his character through the rest of this and. He's naming one of his characters after the the master's character, Tila. So, you know, this is a thing they think that, um, you know, he certainly didn't think that this was a, was a character that was going to not be remembered by casual fans. This this series is not meant for He-Man fans. This is a, a mainstream, you know, uh, series and he thought this would be well received enough that he, you know, incorporated a, a you know, two pages in the middle of a novel to playing on this this idea and this joke. So I think Teal is a, you know, also a character that's pretty firmly in the mainstream, if you're familiar with Masters at all. Well, and I think, too, um, the way I see it is let's let's ignoring the fact that a lot of the controversy between the use of Tila in Revelation, it kind of... Uh, calls back to kind of the culture of today with the whole woke versus agenda, you know, me too, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Throwing that out. What, what I'm looking at is if this is supposed to be a spiritual um, continuation of masses of the universe, right? That's, that's what they build it as. Um, and ignoring the fact that you have people coming back into the property currently, right? You have people coming back in, so they might have been expecting, oh, this is a show for the adult fans. I'm going to see a lot of, you know, He-Man versus Skeletor. But going back to this being a spiritual sequel of the 80s property, what are the big things that a fan would want to see, Okay. Possibly you would want to see when everyone finds out finally that Prince Adam is He-Man. I, I think that's a that's a revelation, right? That's a revelation. Yep. I want to say right up there in the top five, if not the 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 second or kind of third most important thing, that if you're gonna wrap up, if you will, wrap up the 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 general storyline of the 80s, is that you would want to see tila become the sorceress that's her castle that is her destiny and that is in my opinion completely what they are foreshadowing in part one of revelation there is more beef to the story of tila becoming the sorceress of castle grayskull i feel than there is to everyone realizing he-man is actually prince adam or or even just setting that aside right like Mm -hmm. he-man is uh you know there is more storytelling potential with that than there is a bunch more battles between he-man and skeletor that we've been watching for 40 years right like right there is there's story opportunity that's rooted in the mythos since day one essentially Mm -hmm. um that has let's let's face it really outside of maybe a handful of comics here and there tila fulfilling her destiny has has we have never really seen that uh, promised part of the story uh f- fulfilled right like, right. like we've never gone there and 
uh, it would be like, you know, in, in Star Wars, uh, Star Wars universe, right? Like, what if they had just ended the story with Empire Strikes Back, and we never get to see the the uh, final face-off between uh, Luke and Darth Vader and dealing with the father-son relationship that they've got, or you know, the rebels finally winning the day and destroying the Empire, which was kind of the point of Star Wars, right? Like, what if Return of the Jedi just didn't exist and we never got what was promised really from the beginning, right? Like, the the promise of the first Star Wars movie is, here's the Rebel Alliance. This is the group that's going to band together to bring down the Emperor, right? Like, that's the promise of the Star Wars story. And imagine if it just ended without fulfilling that promise. This, this mm-hmm. is that, in in our universe, right? The promise right. of Tila is the next guardian of Grayskull one way or another. And uh, we never got that story. And now that's part of the story that we are getting. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. Because even things like um, logical choices, you know, Skeletor finally receiving the power. Um I like that we do see this in Revelation, but we also already saw that in the live-action movie. In fact, he uses the exact same line, yep. I believe, uh, in several Revelation. Time, several different yeah. lines from the live-action movie, yes, actually. Uh, in there, which are great homages. Love it. But, um, yep. I, you know, the Tila thing is just one thing that we never... Like, we got such a lovely tease of it in the Mike Young show that I feel if the Mike Young show would have continued there most likely would have been a very large story arc, possibly where Tila eventually becomes Sorceress of Castle Grayskull. And I just think that a lot of the story of Tila is not being properly uh, or ob- objectively viewed or so. Uh, I don't know what my word is, but they're not looking at the story. Instead, they're just looking at Tila as polarizing figure that is now the He-Man character of the franchise, which is clearly not the intent of the storytellers of Revelation. But I think their clear intent is to flesh out the remaining aspects of Masters of the Universe that we did not get in the 80s as there's no closure and let, let, let's also again uh sorry to do this but i want to i want to also pull in just from a storytelling uh point mm-hmm. of view uh, as well again right i'm going to i'm going to once again because it's something that almost everyone has seen at some point i'm going to use star wars as an as an example again right mm-hmm. so storytelling um particularly sort of like uh you're building up to the the climactic finish of story right mm mm-hmm. mhm a very common thing that you will do is, uh, especially in ensemble type stories, which Masters absolutely is, always has been, is you take your hero off the board for a while. Empire Strikes Back, that's what that story does. Luke is taken off the board. We're watch, we watch you know, half of that movie, uh, seeing you know, Luke and Leia and the droids and whatever, dealing with everything that they need to deal with while Luke is off getting trained by Yoda. And while they, there's cutting back and forth, you know, like uh, 
structurally the story is structured uh in in a different way right they take he-man off the board in revelation and we don't really see him for three episodes um it's the same idea right like what happens Mm -hmm. when you take your your number one asset off of the board and they have to either go do something else or whatever what happens to everybody else and empire strikes does strikes back does the same thing that we're seeing here because it helps make it all the sweeter when that that uh hero comes back onto the board and you know changes the dynamic again and it this is just part of storytelling Right, and a lot of the criticism that I, I see in regards to Tila um, is by Tila just in name for Revelation, right? Because they are arguing against the fact that she is used instead of He-Man. Um, but the portrayal of Tila in Revelation is not uncharacteristic of many of the traits that she has uh, historically shown in other masters of the universe media. Yep. So I'm hard pressed. You know, like I said, my emotions on this show whew, have been a roller coaster. Uh, uh, same with just involving Tila in general. Um, binge after binge. I feel like my, my opinion changes and I, I would preface to anybody that um, your opinion is allowed to change. And, and we made that point earlier uh, in this episode. Um, you can evolve, and, and it, you know you might have justification as to why you just simply do not like Tila in Revelation. I mean, I don't, I don't think I would want to be Tila's friend in Revelation. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think I would want to be her friend. Um, but again, if my best friend was acting like she did, I might be like Adam and still take her back, you know, with open arms, um, because that's just the way I am, and that is my best friend. Um, I, I think they have wonderful character dynamics set up, and, and obviously Tila is a bit of a tortured soul uh, in this, which, which is not a bad thing. And I, I like how Adam is portrayed as kind of the more, uh, maybe a caring and sensitive person. Uh, you know, he chooses to be Adam, not, not to be He-Man. Um, but Tila is uh, afraid of her inner self because she doesn't know her destiny. No one has informed her of why she has these feelings inside her, right? So to her credit, it, she, she's not aware of the full picture. <laughs> Here's a question uh, for you, because we started mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning talking about our our history, like yours and my history with the character. I I always kind of liked Tila. You were not a Tila fan per se. Didn't hate her, but didn't uh, weren't drawn to the character. Yes. Has Revelation given you a new appreciation for the character now, or do you think that your appreciation has? shifted over a much longer span of time like did this was this sort of like the the um you know like like the shock that to your system that kind of helped you view tila in a new light or do you think this would have happened naturally over time with or without revelation i would say that well my initial reaction to her in revelation was that of disgust 
Um, I honestly, like I was just like, oh, she is self-absorbed. I, you know, all of the words I used previously, I still feel that to a certain extent. And I personally might have handled Tila differently, uh, slightly differently if I was writing the episodes. Um, I think what actually helped me recently was actually the rewatching of the Mike Young episodes that made me kind of feel a bit more empathetic towards her mm -hmm. journey, because I feel that the Mike Young episodes did a better job than the Revelation episodes of making me feel compassion for Tila. She's just so angry in Revelation um, that I let that cloud my judgment of why she is angry. And again, I feel like I'm holding her up to a higher standard than I should, much like, you know, people will try to cancel a celebrity these days, right? If they make kind of one comment that's a little bit wacky. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, I think I think part of the challenge with Revelation 2 is like it's a new show. It's uh it's got its own uh like, you know, its own art, its own sound, it's a new uh group of actors trying the parts and I think for some of the for some people watching it you almost want to press the reset button even if you know you know intellectually like this is supposed to be sort of continuing that 80s one I think the the stuff you're talking about is important to remember whether it's Mike Young or Filmation, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think we're supposed to take that baggage with us, right? The compassion we felt for her in, in at other times, because ultimately this is supposed to be not starting over and reacquainting you with the character. You're supposed to bring all of that uh, right. with you in the first place. But I think that's hard for people when they see something that, oh, that looks different. Oh, she sounds different. Oh, you know, whatever. This, sh this is a different show. And they naturally want to kind of press the reset button mentally and this show i think actually works better if you don't do that mm -hmm. in some well, ways. A, i think a problem too is a lot of people watching it and and commenting on tila in particular um are not necessarily people that are as um i hate to use the term but in bed with the mythos as like hardcore fans are that have been with the property, you know, since childhood and kind of never gave it up, you know, like we, we were never like you and I, and many others were never at a point where we left masters of the universe and princess of power and then came back to it. it it's kind of like, it was something that we never really let go. Probably more people could equate our relationship with masters of the universe to like their relationship with star Wars. I feel like, right, like right. with your star Wars examples, Star Wars was kind of always breathing some kind of life for people, even though like, you know, you didn't have the prequels for like a long period of time. Just people were very, um, for lack of a better term, obsessed with Star Wars. You know, there was the extended universe, right? Novels yep. and yep. and all of that stuff. So video though, games, all right, that stuff. Yeah. We didn't have as much media for for He-Man and She-Ra, but we engaged as a fandom in, in a very kind of concentrated and and core group uh, if you will and that has become and that has expanded and expanded more as the years uh go by um and i just think that oftentimes uh unfortunately the culture or or 
or societal ways of the day um, are hovering over this stuff more more than they should, and and things are not getting viewed out maybe as objectively as they should be, like the character of Tila in in Revelation. Hence, why we did this episode to kind of just discuss the history kind of of Tila, our thoughts on Tila. How did Tila act before? How does she act now? What do we think of that? Has the she context been a consistent? Yeah, the context the of it. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I will say, interestingly, uh, in my circle of, of uh, people that are not part of the fandom at all, uh, a friend of mine, my sister, uh, my mom, my brother-in-law, all, they all watched it. Uh, for various reasons. My sister was a fan with me growing up of He-Man and She-Ra. Uh, my mom liked watching them, you know, back in the day, but wasn't, you know, and, and still enjoys them very, very much, but not like part of the fandom by any stretch. <laughs> my brother-in-law, not a fan at all at any point in his life, is only aware of it because of me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, my friend Eric, who is, uh, was a fan when it aired, had done what you were just talking about, like completely forgotten about it basically until we met as adults and, and was sort of reintroduced to it, but is still not like a fan fan, right? Like he watches the old episodes. He watches Mike Young from time to time, enjoys them, but like is not super versed in the mythos, but all of them enjoyed revelation, you know, to the hilt. Like they thought it was fantastic. My sister was very unhappy about Orko's uh, demise, but Mm. Aside from that, um, absolutely love love this show. So there's such a spectrum going on here because I I didn't really expect that. I actually expected that group to be more like uh, a little more unhappy, uncomfortable with the with the stuff that um, that shifted because it was you know not the old show right which mm-hmm. they were marginally familiar with and they weren't steeped in the mythos and whatever and it turned out to be the other you know way around so it's just it's i think there's such a spectrum no matter it's hard to categorize right like mm-hmm. everyone in the fandom you you may have trends in one way or um another but uh, i think everyone is kind of taking away from revelation a combination of what they choose to take away from it and or if they've got super preconceived notions, they're taking away what they expect to take away from it. Right. I have to wonder, and this is a discussion for another day, um, you know, the impact social media has on on everything these days from, you know, politics to a character in Masters of the Universe. <laughs> yeah. And uh you know, I look at things how many a movie is trashed even before it comes out. Um, would more people like, I don't know, the the Justice League movie, right? If there was no social media where people were conversing back and forth, where you just went to the theater and then maybe discussed it with your friends afterwards. Um, I don't know, because we will never know because we don't live in that type of society anymore. Um, but I really do feel that that has a lot to do with um, molding people's perceptions and there are people out there just like i would i would absolutely defend masters of the universe and princess of power to people right there are other people that will be out there that will stop at nothing to tear it apart and i don't know where you find um the happy medium but uh, i think unfortunately for tila <laughs> uh, she she received the tug and pull of she got current caught times. in the crossfire i think yeah. and 
I don't, I, I really, I think Tila was a, uh, for lack of a better term, like um, a bystander that like that did get caught in the crossfire because I, I actually don't think, I think no matter what they did with this show, there would have been backlash from some portion no matter what what it might have not have always right. been from the same portion right but there would always be and unfortunately this is true in everything whether you're talking about media whether you're talking about um like you know when tech products come out and get reviewed or whatever right the mm -hmm. people that don't like it the people who had problems you know the oh, my my new phone doesn't work or you know like remember a few years ago right like the mm -hmm. samsung phones that were exploding and catching fire or whatever right when something like that happens like yeah that's like 0.001 percent of all of the fill in the blank that's out there or whatever right or whatever but they're the ones making the most noise and being the loudest and they're not representative of uh, the overall feeling. And I, I have a feeling when when the dust settles on Revelation, I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot more people that liked it than we expect or can see right now. Oh, I agree. And one thing I'd love to do is like after the all 10 episodes have dropped of Revelation. I'd love to do another revisit after the dust settles, you know, a year or two after the show, you know, rewatch it. Kind of like a, an interest I have right now of rewatching the Mike Young show because yes. of the Tila episodes that I, I rewatched. I um, love Mike Young. <laughs> yeah, kind of, you know, just kind of like reanalyze that. Something we have to remember as fans too, we're often very hyped for something when some when we receive a new piece of media, right? So you even with Revelation, my my thoughts and criticisms of it now may change after the dust settles, and and a year or two from now I go back and and kind of rewatch it when I'm not on that hype, right? From a, you know that spectacular teaser trailer that that they that they released and things like that. You know, same with Shira and the Princesses of Power. Same with Mike Young. You know, our opinions may evolve over time, even as fans when the hype is gone. And this is even doubly true for this one, because right now we've only got half the story, right? Exactly. Like, imagine if, so one, two, three, four, wait, one, two, three, four, five. Like, imagine if, uh, you know, the entire fandom had just decided, you know, what they thought of the Mike Young series once, you know, the deep end aired, which I think was episode five or something, right? Like the beginning Sky War Right. We'd be uh, like, oh, that was nice. Lots of yeah. weapon twirling. Adam becomes He-Man. And then this horrible Merman episode. Right. Exactly. Right. Like, And, and that's it. Right. There's uh, like, imagine if we had, we had done that um, and we would have missed out on all of the gems that are scattered throughout that series, like, like the ties of bind that we were talking about earlier in this episode. So or ooh, price of deceit. So good. So good. So good. So good. That one holds up. And that and hey. That's just me being nostalgic for Hordak, right? That's what someone would tell me, but I'm sorry. That episode. That's is great. Fantastic. <laughs> That's a great episode. And even like episodes like like uh I, I know it's gotten uh mixed reviews from the fans, or at least back in the day it got mixed reviews. I always really liked that episode Lessons. I think it was written by Larry Detilio, but it's yes. like it's the Orco episode, essentially. Mm -hmm. And um I always thought that episode was so well done. And, uh, you know, we, there's so many that we would have just, um, just missed, missed out on if, uh, 
if we had, you know, as a collectively as a fan, right. like condemned it halfway through or whatever. So it, it's, uh, we're only halfway through uh, Revelation. And I don't know what the fan uh, reaction and controversies and everything else that's been going on with Revelation will do. I saw two articles uh, in the, over the last couple of weeks uh, from, one was from, I forget, They're, they were both um, kind of like those geek media, you know, places that review like comic books and cartoons and action movies and whatever, talking about uh, Revelation and, and reviewing it uh, pretty well. And both alluded to the fact that like the door is open for Netflix to order like another run of Revelation, which I thought was weird because I thought we were absolutely only getting these 10. But I wonder if, if that is the case, uh, what, you know, are, are we as a fandom sort of collectively shooting ourselves in the foot by judging this uh, so definitively after only seeing half of it? Right. And I, unfortunately, I think it gave the character of Tila a disservice what, that that all 10 episodes were not uh, dumped at once, which yes. I think was the original plan. And that might have actually helped helped her situation. Um, but yep. unfortunately... Uh, this is what happened. I'm, I'm really hoping that part two maybe will make a lot of people enjoy Tila's journey um, or her quest, if you will, uh, a, a, a little bit more. So circling back to Tila and kind of wrapping it up, did you have any uh, any final thoughts you wanted to make on the character? I had one last uh, question that I okay. wanted to pose for us to answer uh, that we didn't directly uh, touch on. We talked about her design. We talked about her characterization over the years. But in terms of uh, media, so take you know anything printed out of it, right? So we're talking movies, cartoons, that kind of thing. And the portrayal by the actors that have played Tila over the years, who was your favorite portrayal from an acting standpoint of Tila? Well, I wonder if this will be a controversial answer. I guess not. I'm actually leaning more towards uh, the voice actress on the Mike Young show because I love Linda Gary's um, Sorceress and Evil Lynn so much. But I mean, her her voice for Tila is very iconic. But I feel that uh, Mike Young's does sound similar. Um, and again, I, I empathize more with the Mike Young Tila and her situation and how that was portrayed. So I think I might go with Mike Young as the best. And I unfortunately would probably put Sarah Michelle Gellar as my least favorite portrayal. Um, I'm not really counting the new adventures since that was just one episode. <laughs> but I don't necessarily have a problem with Sarah Michelle Gellar, but I feel actually like her voice would fit more of an Adora um, than a Tila. And oh, I could not disagree I, with you more. I'm oh, not this a, is what we should have oh, saved this there, for the battle. This should have been the battle, right? Um, so Sarah Michelle Gellar, I mean, I she has a very recognizable voice for me, probably because, you know, I saw many a teen type movie with her in the 90s growing up. She's, you know, She's in my age range for things I watched, right? Even though I was right. not a Buffy fan, I do feel like if she called me on the phone, I would automatically guess, you know, who's that celebrity? I would be like, you're Sarah <laughs> Michelle Keller. Um, 
there are parts where I feel that that kind of takes me out of it, like the visuals of Tila versus the voice that is coming out of her mouth. And I sat during Revelations and often was thinking that Sarah Michelle Gellar would have been an excellent voice for an Adora slash Shira in a Revelation type cartoon, more so than Tila. I feel like Tila just needed a the way she's portrayed in Revelation, I would have liked a little bit more grit. All right. So, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to start where, where I agree, and then I'm going to blow up the rest of it. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. This is the battle that people came for. This is what you paid for. No, your that's, money that's for. good. You know, you always leave the good part for the end. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So I agree. I think, I think Mike Young Tila is my favorite. Uh, portrayal uh, acting wise of uh, Tila as well. I also agree with you on Linda Gary. Linda Gary was unbelievably talented and so, uh, so many characters. Even, yeah. Wow. Like so many characters, right? Like Evelyn, the sorceress, Shadow Weaver, um, tons of like one off characters. Queen Marlena, 99% of the time. Um, except in that like one episode where it was Erica Scheimer, which was or it was um, strange. It was um, Jay Scheimer, Lou Scheimer's wife. Oh, oh, Jay Scheimer was it? Okay, yes. Um, okay, well, whoever it was, it's very jarring uh, when it's not. Wow, she she and Erica Scheimer have a very similar voices. You can really tell uh, related there. Um, anyway, all that aside, uh, I, Gary was great, but uh, never was super uh, a super fan of her voice for Tila. It's just sort of like I don't know. To me, it always struck as sort of generic. I really liked um, the I uh, whoever the actor was that was Tila in uh, Mike Young Productions, and I don't remember her name right now, but um, she was great. I think my least favorite is actually the live action movie. Oh, I didn't I don't, think about that one. I don't really like that. Um, it is just her regular speaking voice. Yeah, but, but yeah, but, but it's also the, just the way the character is being acted or whatever. It just mm -hmm. doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't ring true for me anyway. Right, your mileage may vary. All that good stuff, but for me, that was probably my least um, favorite. And I don't remember enough of New Adventures to uh, to even say. So I'm leaving that on the table just like you did. I actually though. If there's going to be a challenger to the Mike Young Tila, it actually is Sarah Michelle Gellar in Revelation because I have a lot of the same feelings toward her portrayal as I do the Mike Young one. I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of similarity there. I think there. I think uh, I don't. I'm not as nearly as familiar with her work as you are. So like, I've seen as many Buffy episodes at most as I can count on one hand, if even that many. <laughs> so <laughs> I am not familiar with her work particularly at all. But um, so that part of it may be helping my perception, but I really like it, but it, there hasn't been enough time yet for me to settle into her portrayal yet and really decide. But if there is a challenger for Mike Young, I think it is, uh, it is Sarah Michelle Gellar for me. I think Sarah Michelle Gellar is a wonderful actress and, and what have you. I do not agree that she would have made a good Adora slash Shira at all. That is not the right sound Ooh. for for those characters in in my uh head. Like 
for, for me, Shira has been very, very sculpted over the years uh, from Melindy Brett's original portrayal, right? Mm -hmm. And I would argue that the the new show, the the Princesses of Power series, um, drew a lot from Melindy Brett's portrayal. Like I, there are right down to certain lines where the infliction. Particularly more so for Adora than Shira, but mm -hmm. like especially for Adora, where it's like I can totally hear Melindy Brett putting the emphasis on all the same words that um oh gosh, her name is escaping me right now and I did know it just a second ago, uh that played Shira in the new show. What was it? Amy something, right? Yes. Why am I blanking on this? I anyway, don't know how to pronounce her last name correctly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's fine. But um, anyway, I'm drawing a blank at the moment for for it. But regardless, um, uh, that and to me, you could not get further away from that with Sarah Michelle Geller. Like that totally sounds unbelievably wrong. To well, me. Uh, the problem I might have with it is a problem you'll you won't have because visually, I'm picturing so. Example, I did not picture the Joker when Mark Hamill was doing Skeletor. I thought that I recognized the similar sounding voice, right? Like this is a Jokery voice. But to me, it like visually it matched up with Skeletor. I think my problem with Sarah Michelle Geller is knowing that what Sarah Michelle Geller looks like, and she is a petite blonde woman, okay? <laughs> I have to wonder if when I see Tila on the screen speaking, okay, but with Sarah Michelle Geller's voice, is my mind kind of superimposing Sarah Michelle Geller over top of the Tila design? And that's where my mind goes to someone more like, this sounds more like Adora speaking, because I'm picturing like a blonde woman. I, I really think that that yeah. could be part of it because of just visually how much I, I Sarah Michelle Geller is like ingrained in my brain. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely don't have that. Um, <laughs> don't have that going on at all. So interesting. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. <laughs> well, then I guess we covered many aspects of Tila, um, and perhaps. Uh, gave someone out there a revelation about <laughs> the character of Tila that even I can have, given I've, I've gone through so many emotions with this person that I don't really like. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't ruin revelation for me either, so I'll just say that. Well, there you go. But uh, Thank you to everyone who downloaded our first, um, what we dubbed Ultimate Battleground, even though I don't know if we battled that much. Maybe s future special battle Ultimate Battlegrounds will have a bit more of a battle. I don't know. Is it good that we agree? They, on they a lot will. Of There's plenty. Yeah. There's, plenty. There's plenty for us to go for. Yeah. That's true. Well, uh, again, uh, you can check us out at masterscast.com. We're also available on all your popular podcast uh, platforms. So we're on Apple, Google, Spotify. Subscribe, check us out, rate, review. Give me a thumbs up. I don't even know if you can do that on Apple Podcasts. Probably not, but I'm, everyone seems to say that. Uh, I'm John Callis, also known as The Shadow. And I'm Josh DeLioncourt, also known as Lioncourt. And I know I want to wish everyone a good journey. How about you, Josh? Good journey. Woo!